Oh, it's so good to see you here. What it do? <laughs> Are you with me, you college guys? Yeah, because that's a new, I'm working that into my lexicon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome home. My name is Tom. You're at Bethany. Uh, homecoming may suffice for Western and high school once a year. We do it every week uh, to be with God and to, and to worship him and love on him and have him love on us and love on each other. Ah, I'm addicted to it. Uh, love having you guys here. Uh, great morning. Uh, he's got such blessing, such blessing for you and for me. If the children want to uh, split for children's church, you're going to have a great time. We'll see you a little bit later. Oh, so much going on. I have to just underscore one more thing. Uh, I know Matt talked about it, but uh, the baptism service, uh, that's going to be part of the 10 a.m. service. The baptisms that we have had here um, have been some of the best days of my life uh, because of the great presence of God, the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. It's, it's incredible. Uh, so please be here because uh, you'll get drenched in him. It's, it's beautiful. Whether you're going in the water or not, yeah, you're going in. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so I have a sign-up sheet up here. Uh, I think right now we've got six or seven people. Uh, we've had a, a number of people come to Christ since we've done this before. Um, so we're, we're so grateful for that. That's why we exist, for people who are far from God to know uh, that they can come home to him and find new life. Uh, so that that's happening. That is so far beyond anything that we uh, are capable of. Uh, so to see God's work in that way, if, if that's you and he's calling you to make that, that public profession of faith in the waters of baptism, please, please come talk to us and, and we look forward to having you here. Uh, this is week four in our five-week series called Imagine. Uh, this morning we're going to be imagining relationships. I'd ask you, if you have a Bible with you, open it to Ephesians chapter five. We're gonna be unpacking the first two verses. If you don't have a Bible with you, there might be one under the seat in front of you. If not, raise your hand. Roy will uh, drop one off with you. If you need one, if you don't have one, take that home with you. It's our free gift to you. We want, uh, we want it in every home and every hand and every heart, God's word. God is all about relationships. Uh, he is all about specifically love relationships. So as we imagine that, we're in the right place. We're with the right God because God is specifically all about love relationships. And in fact, God is himself a love relationship. You see, we serve a triune God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They are together in love relationship. They are together in this perfect unity of love and grace and, 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 and joy. And, and it's this beautiful, supernatural, creative dance, if you will, that the Trinity is in. And the good news is that Jesus invites us to join in the dance. And, and that's, that's the relationship that we celebrate. You think dancing with the stars is cool? Try dancing with the one who made the stars. That is far cooler, okay? And that's what we do. That is the working out, the living out of the Christian life. And it's not, uh, it's not something that we do alone. We do it together in community with him, with community with each other. So we're talking about love relationships. So it should come as no surprise that when Jesus was talking to people during his earthly ministry, and they said, what is paramount? What is the most important thing, the greatest commandment? He said this. He, in a sense, he said, love relationships. 
love relationships. And in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 37, he says this. He says, love, have a love relationship with the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and have a love relationship with each other. Essentially, that's what he's saying here. That all our life is to be swallowed up and consumed and and ignited with love relationships that are not natural, that they are supernatural. And so I just want us to understand as the platform, as the foundation on which everything we'll do this morning is that relationships are not just part of the church. Love relationships are the church. That it's all about that. It's not about religion. It's not about some obsessive, moralistic, legalistic code that we follow. It's a love relationship that calls us to follow in blessing and praise and grace and love. And, and, and as God pours that out into us, he also pours that through us so that we can bring that good news to other people that there is a place where they can come home, that there is a place where they belong, that there is a place where they are loved. And that is with Jesus and with us, uh, the people who, uh, we're not perfect, not by any means, but he loves us anyway. And we serve a perfect God and he's making us into his image. That's, that's a great thing. So what, I'm very stoked, if you can tell, uh, that we have a chance. Uh, if you leave here with one thing, I, I want you... Uh, and, and, and me to be totally consumed by how much Jesus loves you. How much Jesus loves us. Because that, according to the scripture that we're going to look at, is the foundation through which all of the love in our lives should happen. And it's transforming. It's incredible. So I want you to grasp it. I want you to experience it. And then we're going to go live it out. And we're going to help each other do that. So that's great. We're going to ask for God's help, and we're going to get right to work. Let's pray. Lord, uh, so, so grateful uh, that you have brought us together in your presence. Uh, Lord, we want to worship you. Lord, uh, your love for us is inconceivable, but somehow through your power, Lord, we want to, we need to conceive of it. We, need, we don't just want it in our minds. We want it in our hearts. We want it in our lives. Lord, we ask that that love break in, break past all the boundaries we've set up. And Lord, we not only want it to break in, but we want it to break out of us. To our friends, to our spouses, to our brothers and sisters, our, our, our families, our children. Lord, our community. Lord, we pray against the enemy his servants, their works and effects. And we pray for the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would be here opening our eyes, opening our hearts so that we might see you and savor you and celebrate you. Lord, thank you for the love. Lord, break through. I bring before you my sins and confession and I wish they weren't so many. And Lord, we, we look forward to how you're gonna transform us through your word, through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You ready? Let's go. All right, Ephesians chapter five, verse one and two. This is a love-saturated verse. I want you to read through it with me. If you don't have a Bible with, with you and you wanna follow up on the screen, that's great. Here we go. Therefore, be imitators of God as what kind of children? Say it with me. Beloved children and walk How are we supposed to walk in 
love. As Christ did what? As he loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, it's, a, it's an orchestra of love. It is, it is a rhythmic, supernatural flow of love that comes to God for us and through us. And it's great. It's great. This is not, this is not your garden variety love. I just want to summarize this. God is saying, copy me. Mimic me. Do me. As, and to do that, to copy me, you have to love others. Copy me. Love others. Oh, it's great. It's great. And this is not, we use the word love so much. You know, I love deep fried foods. I love tacos. And I do. But it's not that kind of love. It is so much deeper. We got a clip that I want you to watch. That, 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 that helps illustrate what this love is not. Let's take a look. Yeah, we really do. It's about God and it's about loving people. So I love people. I love Ben. I love Jerry. I love... Oh, it's so much deeper. And yet, so many of us in church, we go through life living the same kind of garden variety, normal love that, the, that, that everybody else out there uses and, and God is calling us to a deeper experience of his love in us and, and through us to each other. And that's what, we're, that's what we're looking at. It is a supernatural love. Walk in means every area of your life. Every area of your life, your work, your play, your recreation, your, your friendships, your family, Everything you do be so saturated and transformed by God's love and, and that our mission is to share that love and experience that love. It's great. So very simply, we're gonna take a look at this and we're gonna see how Jesus loves us because that's what it's saying. Love, love, walk in love just as Christ loved us, gave himself for us. So we're gonna unpack how does Jesus love us? What does scripture say? about how Jesus loves us and how does that play out in all our relationships? How is that going to fix our friendships and our crushes and our work relationships and the fact that we don't talk to our brothers and sisters and we have fractured relationships with our parents and our children and the people at work and the people in the church and the people in this town and at this college and it's gonna be transforming. So this is what we're gonna do. It's what we're gonna do. Okay, five... Five quick examples if you're, if you're taking notes this morning. First is, how does Jesus love us? Jesus initiates. Jesus initiates his love. He starts it. Let's take a look at Romans 5, chapter 8. Romans 5, 8. Here it is. But God shows us 
initiates, if you will, his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. In 1 John 4.19, it says it very plainly. We love because he first loved us. Jesus started it. He started it. Now, he started it was kind of the mantra of my childhood. I had three sisters. Yeah, anytime there was commotion in the house, anytime there was, there was stuff broken, anytime there was, there was ruckus, which you have to be a parent to use that word, my sisters would cry out, he started it! And I didn't. Well, I did, sometimes, <laughs> but not always. Always with Jesus, he started it. He started the love. In fact, I don't want to get all metaphysical on you, but grasp this. If you love Jesus today, he beat you to it. If you don't yet love Jesus, he beat you by a mile. Here's the metaphysical part. If you want to go home and read the first chapter of Jeremiah, you will realize that he loved you before he created you. Let that blow your mind. He started it. He started it. And some of us are living, trying to live that obsessive, legalistic, moralistic code of do better, do better, do better, so that God will love us more and accept us. Here's the good news. You can quit. He already does. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more than he loves you right now. He is not in love with some future version of you. I can't tell you how many times people say, I can't come to Christ until I clean up my life. I can't be baptized until I clean up my life. He already loves you. While we were as far as we could possibly be from him, he loved us. While you were doing that thing that you hope your mom never finds out about, in that moment, he was so in love with you that if you grasp that, it would totally transform your life. If I grasped that, I would live differently. I would think differently. I would work differently. I would love differently. I would worship differently. He loves you so much. This train of Jesus' love for you has already left the station. He loved you first. He started it. He loves you now. Jesus' love initiates. It loves at a time when it would be, in the world's eyes, foolish to love. So what does that mean? How does that play out in our relationships? Well, some of us are not only living this obsessive, legalistic, moralistic code to get God's approval. We are waiting for others in our lives, others in the community to live this obsessive, legalistic, moralistic code before we love them. Well, we'll love them when they clean up their lives. Why? We couldn't do it by ourselves. We're still in process. Initiate love. We initiate love. Your love can't wait. Your love can't wait. Initiated love doesn't say, I'll love you when. I'll love you when you realize that you're treating me like a jerk. It doesn't say that. 
It doesn't say, I'll love you when you stop putting your underwear on the floor and, and, and learn what a hamper is. I'm not gonna love you, wait to love you when you get your life straightened out. Love can't wait. It can't wait for your spouse to realize that she's wrong. Just an example. Pulling that out of thin air. Or he is wrong. How many of us wait until the other person, the object of our love, behaves in a way that we expect them to behave, and then we're gonna love them? Totally non-Christian. Because Jesus' example is he initiates our love when we are not only undeserving, but ill-deserving. We're rejecting it. We're as far as possible from him. That's when he chooses to initiate love. Who is it in your life who is not chinning the bar for you? What is your bar? That they're gonna realize how good you are to them and then you're gonna love them. They're gonna get rid of this habitual sin in their life that's tearing them apart and destroying them and then you're gonna love them? No, we're gonna initiate, we're gonna do it now. Your love can't wait, your love can't wait. Now, college ladies, high school ladies, if any of these young guys use this love can't wait as a pickup line, and they say, well, my pastor said, my love can't wait, baby. It can't wait. Don't make me wait for love. Don't make me wait. You have my permission to knee him in the batteries. You do. <laughs> That's not a pickup line. I'm talking about initiating love and not waiting for somebody to do something or respond in a loving way to you because that's how Jesus does it. Love do we have that we would say, that the world would say, only the cross of Christ can explain this kind of love. That is exactly what we're called to. No barrier can keep that out. That's why we see so much healing that is yet to take place, so much restoration. Let's receive it. Let's walk in it. That's what it's calling to. Love that initiates is not passive-aggressive. Let's just, this is the last point I want to make. I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to act like nothing is wrong until he realizes that everything is wrong, and he better realize it soon because I'm not going to stay here forever. And he is really wrong. And I am darned if I'm going to make the first move because he is wrong. And everything is fine, but everything is not fine. But I'm not going to say it because he should realize it. And I'm going to stay here until he does. But I'm going to leave soon if he doesn't soon. That ain't Jesus' love. Jesus' love realizes where there is not love and pours it out it out, initiates, starts it, doesn't wait. He didn't text me back. <laughs> Thinks I'm going to text him again. There's no love there. Put the love there. Jesus, put the love there. Initiate. Who in your life do you need to initiate love? Because that's how Jesus loves you. Healing will come. Blessing will come. We have to fight to initiate love. The followers of Jesus Christ have to start it because he started it. 
Number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus is forgiving love. Now we know this. We know this. Jesus' love to us is forgiving love. You can't sin well enough. You're not that good at it that you can get past God's grace, that you can get past God's love, Jesus' love for you. He's forgiving. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we say, we say what he said. This is the cup of my blood that is shed for you and for all so that sins may be forgiven. It is love that wants to wash clean. It is love that wants to set free. We looked at that last week. It is love that wants to cleanse. It is love that does not want to keep a record of wrongs. It wants to look at the possibilities of redemption. That's what it is. If you are married, you have something to forgive. If you are a man who is married and you are a husband, you need to be forgiven. Just get, get, get real with this, guys. If you're a man, you're wrong a lot of the time. Amen. We need to get good at that. Do you know it's been said that a great marriage is a union of two wonderful forgivers? And it's so true. If you're a child and you've had a parent, we're practicing. We need to be forgiven. You have something to forgive. If you're a parent of a child, you have something you need to forgive because as children, we rip the heart out of our parents. My mom's in her mid-60s and without intending to do so, I wound her in ways that only I know how to do. You know what I'm talking about? There needs to be forgiveness all the way around. If you've ever dated anyone, you have something to be forgiven of and you have something that you need to forgive. All of us, there are people in our workplace that need to be forgiven. People in our schools who snubbed us, who did something bad to us, who said something about us, who outed us in one way or another, who disrespected us, who made us look bad. We need to forgive and be forgiven because Jesus' love is consumed, is consumed with, with forgiving. I want us to try this. When you are struggling with the need to forgive someone, ask yourself this question. If I did this thing wrong, would Jesus forgive me? If I did this thing wrong, would Jesus forgive me? Now, don't say I would never do that thing wrong. So, I guess it doesn't apply. Don't use that. Because let's get real. Our sin put Jesus on the cross. So, I don't know that it's wise that we debate about what specific flavor of hell-deserving, Savior-crucifying sin we would or would not commit. We're in the same boat. So ask yourself the question, if I did this, would Jesus forgive me? And if you know the answer, then you know what to do. Then you know that what to do. Matthew 18, 21 through 22. I love it. I love it. Matthew 18, 1 through 20, 21 through 22. Peter and the boys are talking to Jesus. They just want to get the parameters of this love thing, this forgiveness thing. How much do they have to forgive? And then Peter said, you know, what, one, seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. Some of us are playing love baseball. Three strikes and you're out, right? You do it to me once, I'll forgive you. You do it to me again, 
You're on notice. Third time, I'm out. I'm gone. Jesus is saying, don't play baseball love, play Bible love. That's 490 if my math is right. And other places in the Bible, he says you can't keep a list. You can't keep a list of recorded wrongs so you can serve them up to this person. Oh, three years ago, you did this, and you said this, and this is all culminating in this big snowball of angst. And No, you can't keep a record. And if you were, keep going to 490 and then come back and talk to me. I got news for you. After you've forgiven 490 times, you're into it, man. You are living the life of the forgiver. And you're not going to ask that question. Excuse me. It's forgiving love. It's wonderful. Number three, if you're taking notes, Jesus' love for us is sacrificial. Let's pull up the verse, uh, Ephesians 5, 2. Let's take a look at that again. Walk in love as Christ loves us, loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. 1 John 3.16 puts it this way. By this we know, this is how we know what love is, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to what? Lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters, for everybody. We ought to do the same. Now, sacrificial love is the cross. Sacrificial love is illustrated in the cross. That we lived a life that deserved the cross, that deserved eternal separation from God and from each other. And Jesus came and he lived a life that we could not live and he died the death that all of us deserve and he didn't want us to have to, to go through. So he dies on the cross in our place for our sins as our substitute, as our sacrifice, while we are undeserving. That's sacrificial love. The opposite of sacrificial love is selfish love. I love you because. I love you because. I don't love Cherie because she takes such great care of me. I appreciate that, but I don't love her because of that. She doesn't love me because my awesome ripped six-pack makes her knees weak. She appreciates that, but she doesn't love me because of that. Do you see the danger? If we have a love that's because, if we have that selfish love, what happens if that ever ends? What happens if that person stops doing the thing that generates our love? That's a fragile love. Sacrificial love is a bulletproof love. Regardless of what they do or don't do, we don't love somebody because of their ability to bless us. We love somebody because we have committed and decided to love somebody, and it's because of our capacity to bless them. That's sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. We must be willing to suffer for love. Not simply endure it when it's unavoidable, but to choose it. To choose it. When love hangs in the balance. We'll go through it instead of them. But they're not going to get what they deserve. 
neither did I. Jesus didn't want to give me what I deserve. He wanted to give me new life, forgiveness, freedom, new life in him. We don't want to be into giving us, giving what we deserve. How's this play out? How's this play out? You go to the you go to the restaurant, maybe you're going out to lunch after this because you're not a college student, even though you try to attend college lunch, you get kicked out. And you go, and if you get service at a restaurant, and your waiter or waitress does a good job, you might tip them. You might tip them well, although they tell me the church crowd is really cheap. So you can witness for Jesus by tipping well, you know? What happens if they give you lousy service? Well, they don't deserve it. Tip them twice as much. How about that? Tell them, look, it's grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. That's how Jesus loved me. I live this lousy life, this God-offending life, and yet he gives me all of himself. He gives me blessing upon blessing, forgiveness upon forgiveness, endless grace, endless joy. I don't deserve it. So I'm not into giving people what they deserve, right? That's not sacrificial love. Sacrificial love is, is looking for people who don't deserve it and pouring love out into them in a tireless, unending way. Because your love for them is greater than your love for yourself. Sacrificial love is willing to be inconvenienced. Won't people take advantage of me? Yep. Yep. Just the same way that I and you take advantage of the love of Jesus. But that doesn't stop his love. Won't that make me a doormat? No. Because doormat is passive. A doormat just lays there and waits for people to come up and wipe their feet on it. We're not passive. We initiate, right? So we're foot washers, not doormats. Before they could demand it of us, we get down on our knees, take the dirtiest parts of them, hold them in our hands, touch the untouchable, the unlovely, and through Jesus' love, redeem it. Won't it make you a doormat? No. It'll make you a foot washer, a follower of Jesus. Jesus' incarnation is another example. He left his perfect throne in glory. Everything is great in heaven. Even though creation is fallen and broken and messed up, he was there, he was loving it, he was reigning over it, he was in glory, and he decided to be born into an armpit of a town, into a feeding trough. Have you ever been around a feedlot? Have you ever been to Greeley? <laughs> now, if you're from Greeley, we love you. We do. But we put up these nativity scenes. When they start putting out scratch and sniff nativity scenes, you'll know. <laughs> Jesus didn't leave his throne in glory to enter the lap of luxury, and he comes down in this place, and he's already, before he can speak, he's got a king who wants him dead before he can even ride a camel without a car seat, right? And he does this. He leaves the comfortable to enter into our brokenness, our world, so that he can love us where we are. What's the takeaway? We have to leave 
and be willing to leave the comfort of our routine, the way we have always done things, the people we have always had over our house, the people we have ignored or talked to or not in the hallways, in the classrooms, the people we have intentionally sought relationships with, we have to be able to leave the comfort of our couches and and our homes and our Facebook list of friends, and we have to go where the need is greatest and leave our comfort because that's where Jesus is. And for a long time, the church has attempted with all its might to surround itself with people just like themselves so that we can be comfortable And we can remind each other how good it is to pretend to be good and vote Republican. Yeah? I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm a Republican. But you don't have to be to follow Jesus Christ. That's my point. You better leave your comfort zone. Because if you don't, we're not loving as Jesus loved. We're not following Christ who left the comfort zone of his throne in glory. Go places that make you uncomfortable. Love in ways that the world thinks is foolish. Pour out grace to people who don't deserve it. Love people who do not expect it. Love people who will take advantage of you. Call that person. Some of you, uh, I just had this burden on my heart. Um, I don't care how old you are. Your relationship with your parents is not preaching the gospel. Okay? Your relationship with your parents is not preaching the gospel. It's not reflecting Jesus' love. Okay? Somebody needs to hear that. Make the call. It's not a time to work out the list of who did what and who's more wrong. It's time for love. It's time for healing. The people that we used to think we love, friends, Dating relationships, former spouses, it's time to heal. It's not okay. It's not okay for division. It's not okay. It's time to love. Because Jesus loved us with indestructible love. Romans 8, 38, we're we're, we're getting to the end here. Romans 8, 38, I just want you to see the kind of love Jesus has for you. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. This is the catch-all, okay? Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate it. This is bulletproof, indestructible love. That is the love that he has for you. That is the love he has for you. Nothing you can do, nothing that you have done, nothing you've been called, nothing that you've thought, nothing that you've said, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Let's stop loving with a fragile love. Let's start living with that walk in love that's that indestructible love. You can't make Jesus not love you. Rest in that. Love that says, I'm sorry. You can act as badly as you want. You can't make me not love you. What if our marriages were like that? What if our friendships were like that? What if our relationships with the brothers and sisters, our friends, our parents, our coworkers were like that? You can't make me not love you. You're not capable. 
Why? Because I've received that kind of love from Jesus. He's going to love you through me. Right? We need a love. I think the closest that a lot of people get to it is the love that a parent has for their child, particularly when they're young and sleeping <laughs> and haven't yet reached middle school or started to go through puberty. That's maybe the, okay, we'll get them through middle school. Um, but you know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding about the ages. Maybe that's just the taste where you say, I would suffer anything for you. I would go through anything for you. That's just a taste of the kind of love that God has for you and that he wants you to have for everyone. Okay. Our call is to the whole world. Start where you are. Who's that person you're having trouble with? You're just having trouble loving. Start there. Start there. And if we get that down, we can love anybody. We can love anybody. It's a love that says, I love you so much. I love you so much. It doesn't matter how much you reject me. It doesn't matter how often you take me for granted. It doesn't matter if you ignore my needs. It doesn't matter how deeply and how often you hurt my feelings. It doesn't matter that you called me that name or you use that example that only you know will wreck me inside. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how often you pull away or leave me hanging or disappoint me or you don't know how to be a friend or you don't know how to be a spouse or you don't know how to love me as your parent or you don't know how to be be a girlfriend or a boyfriend or you don't know how to be a good coworker. It doesn't matter. You can't make me stop loving you. You can't find the limits of my forgiveness. You can't plumb the depths of my grace because I ain't fishing in my own pond. I'm drawing from the reservoir, boundless, bottomless reservoir of love and grace and forgiveness that God has for me. And when I realize that will pour through me, you say, I can't do it anymore? Good. That's exactly where you need to be. Because you and I can't do it. We need this last kind of love. We need love that redeems. We need love that redeems, that fights for reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled, reconciled, reunited, okay? We don't use the word reconcile a lot. Reunited us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling, reuniting the world to himself. You get this beautiful plan? Are you seeing it? So he reunites us to him so that we can have the ministry of reuniting other people to him and to us, and, and he's healing the world. Here he goes. Reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is kingdom living, right? Everything reunited in Christ. He is calling everyone and everything through him to be reunited, reconciled, made right with God, with each other, and we need it. We don't just need it once and then forget about it. We need to grow in this reconciliation just as we're growing in salvation, as we're growing in freedom, as we're growing in belonging, as we've gone through this series. It's a, it's a, it's a process. We're gonna grow in reconciliation 
Jesus gave all of his life to reunite us with him and with each other. And he asked that we do the same. That we not only be recipients of this awesome love, but that we be agents of it. How are people to know if they never see it? How are they to know if they're never recipients of that from us? That's our call. The same reconciling love that we've received, we go. He didn't only call you to save you. He called you to enlist you. This is plan. This is kingdom. One day he will reconcile all things completely to himself. You have the joy of living in that reality now and being agents of that. That is the most glorious plan in all of eternity and all of creation. And he's calling you to partner with him. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. It all hinges on this one thing. Ryan, if you bring up Ephesians uh, 5, 1 and 2, let's look at our, our key verse. Um, well, we'll go through this one. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. We'll go back to that one. I want you to know how much you're loved by Christ. I want you to know how deeply he loves you. Here's what it says. That we might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to, get this, know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That is the definition of getting your mind blown. Okay? You're going to know the love that can't be known. That's the realm that he calls you to experience. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's go to our, our key verse, Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as what? As beloved children. If we don't know how much Jesus loves us, we can't do this. We can't do that. So I want you to realize today, if you only knew if you and I only knew how madly God loves us, how crazily God loves us, how boundlessly Jesus loves us, how much he loves you, it would change everything. Don't you see? It would change the way we do school. It would change the way we do family. It would change the way we do recreation. It would change the way we do money. It would change the way we do Habits, it would transform us. It would change the way we do worry if you only knew. Because I'm convinced that for those of you who are Christians and maybe you become one today, that there'll be a time at the end of our earthly life when we stand before Jesus Christ and we are totally overwhelmed, overwhelmed with how much he loves us. And we'll realize then that it's as much as he loves us right now. And I don't want any of us to think, if I only knew, if I only knew how much you loved me, it would have been so much different. I can't reveal that to you. If you don't know, you got a chance to, to pray today that God would open your eyes, open your mind, open your heart, open your ears, and let him reveal himself and his great love for you.
If you don't know it, pray, 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 pray all day, pray all night until he does. Because you shouldn't go through life without that. And that is the wellspring through which all of this other love comes. Imagine love. Imagine love. If we only knew. Not just intellectually, but experientially. It would change everything. That kind of love is so extreme, so rare, so uncommon, so stubborn, so beautiful, so committed, so sacrificial, that the only way to explain it is the cross, is the love of Jesus. He invites you, he invites me into that love. A friend of mine wrote a song, and there's a lyric that he wrote in there that pierced my heart every time I think about it, and I believe it is a cry of every human heart. It's unloved. I don't want to go unloved. I can't go on unloved. Don't. Don't. And don't settle for the Sunday school trite phrases. Experience it such a deep way that you can't contain it, then we'll see marriages healed, friendships reunited, parents and children knit together, a community that is blessed, and a college that is transformed. We don't have to just imagine love and relationships. We get to experience it. Let's pray.